Hello and welcome to All Three Points, a new football podcast looking at football from all three points. Those are the player, the match official and the commentator. Stuart Lovell, James B and myself, Paul Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. We are looking ahead to Qatar 2022, which is creeping ever closer. There is just a wonderful list of countries that have qualified. Obviously, no Scotland. It's almost taken as red these days, but that's just the way it is. But James, I'm not sure about a tournament without Italy. There's just something not right about a major football tournament that doesn't have Italy. Yeah, I'm sure there's a, a lot of <laughs> Italians out there that will feel exactly the same. And and uh, fans from all, all countries, of course, Italy, you normally expect them in the World Cup. They are one of the few winners of the World Cup. I think this is the 22nd tournament, if I've got that correct. And there's only ever been eight winners. France, Germany, Spain... England, Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, and of course, Italy. And of, of the eight that have won it previously, Italy are the only absentees this time round. And as you said, European champions as well. It's, it's, it's unthinkable. So, uh, no, there'll be much uh, wailing and tears in Italy this year when, when the tournament's won. A bit like Scotland, although we can't, can't compare ourselves. I, I guess you're... The... The fact that Italy aren't there actually is testament to the qualifying process, which is the fairest way for doing these things. I mean, if we look at how the Champions League is almost rigged to get certain countries a certain number of teams, we, we don't want that in the World Cup. You want that openness. And, well, it just results in, you know, the occasional Italy will miss, the Dutch have missed previously, teams that you, you want to see, but hey, they're not there, but they're not there on merit. Correct. Uh, I mean, you're right. The qualification process is robust as it should be. Um, and it, I find it very sad that Italy aren't there. You could maybe look back to the to the Euros and say that they punched massively above their weight. They certainly weren't, weren't on my shortlist for likely winners at the start of the tournament, but um, I thought they were excellent. Very surprising to see an Italian team as open and attacking as they were. And they'll be sorely missed, but um, you're absolutely spot on, Paul, in terms of saying, well, you've got to get there, you've got to earn it, got to earn the right to be in the tournament. Um, you know, losing a country that's won the World Cup four times feels like, um, you know, there's a there's a hole in the tournament. But um, we've still got tons of great nations, strong nations, and some, you know, we've got all the different continents are well represented. So um, I like the balance. You know, I was looking at the groups the other day, I like the balance. Uh, it looks, you know, massively weighted towards the to the seeded teams, as is as is always the case, which means you'll probably get the big guns in the last uh, eight and last four in the final, which which is what we've come to expect. But um, yeah, I, I'm disappointed that Italy aren't there. They would have enriched the tournament had they qualified. Part of the joy of the tournament, Stuart, isn't just the big nations getting to the last four, because that usually is what happens. We don't get a great deal of surprises at that, but there is a, a massive risk to countries that if you don't perform in your first game, you know, you might be expected to get out your group, but you, you do have problems trying to do that. You know, one bad result can set you up. But I think, I think I'm right in saying that, I mean, Croatia came out of nowhere. I mean, they're a good football nation, but, you know, four years ago, they came out of, Nobody would have expected them to get to the last four, let alone get to the final. Is that fair? Um, I'm going to correct you and say and be really smug here because I think it's important when you've got an opportunity to be smug to take it. Believe it or not, and I can assure you that this is absolutely true, um, I actually bet on a France-Croatia final. 
uh, at 100 to 1. Because France were my um, my team at the start of the tournament. They were the team that I fancied to win the tournament. Um, and Croatia were 40 to 1. So I backed Croatia each way uh, 40 to 1. Uh, I didn't expect them to win the tournament, but I thought they were a fantastic bet to, to make the final. Because if you go back to the previous tournament, I thought they were excellent in the Euros before the 2018 World Cup. Um, and I thought that they were a team that caught my eye. This is this is going back to imagine how old uh, Luka Modric was at that stage. He was, he was I mean, he's still a phenomenal player, but I would say he was absolutely at the peak of his powers in the Euros in 2016. And um, Croatia really caught my eye. So, yeah, I, I can I can boast that I backed France at uh, eight to one to win the tournament. Croatia at forty to one, and I had uh, a, a fiver on a France-Croatia final at 100-1. to 1. So, um, yeah, so you, 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 I've revealed the fact that I like to have a sneaky bet on the tournament, and that's probably my proudest moment because I think it's fair to say hardly any, uh, hardly anyone would have picked the finalists. Um, so your point is relevant, but I can sit here smug <laughs> until the end of this episode. <laughs> James, when it comes to making the predictions, we, and we will at some point, who we think we're going to be in the final, obviously we've got a, a hard act to follow with Stuart. But it's always good to see one of the sort of lesser fancied nations overall um, actually come through. And looking at this particular tournament, you know, Croatia could do it again. Denmark, you never know. Senegal, perhaps, you know, will we, will we underestimate? I mean, in fact, James, before I come to you, I mean, in terms of the betting, Stuart, I mean, I think it's the, the top eight are who you would expect. That's right. Um, the the tournament favourites, um, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with this, but Brazil are the favourites uh, at around nine to two. You can get just under seven to one on France, the second favourites. Um and then Argentina at seven to one, Spain nine to one. So that's kind of the the big four, if you like. Closely followed by England at ten to one. They've been on the drift uh, because of you know recent form. Uh, Germany at eleven to one, and and then you're talking Netherlands at fourteen to one, and Belgium at around sixteen to one. And that is the big eight because there's a huge jump to Denmark at uh, thirty five to one, Croatia are even bigger than that, and Senegal around sixty six to one, and then it's hundred to one the rest. So I would um, strongly point people in the direction of the big eight. And, and from a personal perspective, I wouldn't be in a rush to back Belgium. I think that they they are a team that have got phenomenal players, but I think they may have peaked. And I wouldn't touch England with a barge pole because we all know England don't win the World Cup. Um, I, and I just think the team is, is, is on a downward spiral. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem with anyone fancying one of the other uh, six nations, uh, I think they are strong uh, and playing particularly well. But uh, I have my own fa fancies and I'll come back to that when you ask me later. But um, yeah, I would strongly advise people to stick to the big eight um, because I think the winner is almost certainly going to come from there. James, Stuart makes a great point and you'll have seen this, you know, officiating abroad that teams are either on the rise or they're on the wane. I think we've heard about the hype of Belgium for quite a while and have they ticked over or not. But you do get that sense of teams and you look around at these teams. I think Argentina personally are a little bit overhyped in this tournament as well. It's just because they're Argentina. Um, when you went to to officiate games, sometimes teams think they can win on reputation alone. 
Absolutely, and, and as we said, I, again, I agree with Stuart. I think we'll have plenty opportunity in this in this series to to have disagreements. But I find myself agreeing with Stuart a lot so far. When we get into the actual tournament it's, itself, and we see offsides, penalties, red cards, I'm sure Stuart and I will have a bit of debate. But I totally agree. It's going to come from the big eight. As I said earlier on, there's only eight countries have ever triumphed in, in this tournament. One of them is out, and Uruguay. Nobody's even mentioned in this conversation up to now. So that's that's your six. That leaves France, Germany, Spain, England, Argentina, Brazil. And, I, and I'm like Stuart, and it's not because of my nationality, etc. But I, I don't think England are in as good a place as they were four four years ago. I, I also, uh, it's a bit like what you were saying about the hype. I don't understand why Brazil are so great favourites. Is it, again, just because of the nostalgia, the, 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 the previous wins they've had, etc.? I'm not sure they've got the form, although they, they romped the, the qualifying as usual and um, pipped Argentina as well. Um, I'll come back to France in a second, but I'm like you. I would like to see a change. I'd like to see a new name on the trophy. There was a lot of people four years ago who would have loved to have seen Croatia be that new name on the trophy in addition to the previous eight. Belgium, there's a lot of people see it as last chance saloon for that golden generation of Belgian players with Hazard, De Bruyne, etc. Again, I think their time has maybe come and gone. Um, I'd love to see Denmark um, uh, do well. In fact, I'll, I'll come back to them later as well when I make my predictions. And I do wonder if the Middle East conditions are going to suit a team from Africa or nearer the Middle East. So Senegal are going to be there or thereabouts. I've got one little thing though I want to chuck in at this point, and that is I do wonder if there's been a a recent jinx in, in the last few World Cups and that holders have not done very well. You'll remember France the last time they won in 98. When they played in 2002, they went out in the, the first round. I think they were bottom of the group. They lost to Senegal. Um, in 2006, Italy won it and had a disaster with bottom of the group or second bottom of the group in 2010 and went straight out. That Spanish team that could do no wrong in 2010 and won, they went out in the, the group stages, had a disaster in 2014 in Brazil. And then even Germany, who won it in 2014, uh, had a disaster in Russia in 2018 and went out in the, in the first few matches as well. So is it going to happen to France as well, I wonder? Is there a lot of pressure on the, the holders? I've got a, an interesting anecdote actually for you there, just on in terms of, um, you know, the holders being knocked out. So um, I got married in 2002 and we went to Corsica for our honeymoon and um, when I had uh, I'd been played with the great Frank Jose at Hibs and Frank had said to me, oh, if you ever go to Corsica, he'd actually advise me Corsica was the most beautiful island. He said, oh, you must try it. I said, oh, you know, we're going there for a honeymoon. He said, you must play this golf course called Speron. So he explained what it was like, lots of shots across, um, you know, cliffs and all this type of thing. And he was absolutely right. It was a stunning golf course. And I went along with a friend of mine and, and one of my teammates from Livingston, a guy called Didier Santini, who actually lived in Corsica. So he managed to get us on this golf course, which is incredibly exclusive. So exclusive that the two ball in front of us was Lisa Razu and Leboeuf, who were playing it just after France had been papped out of the 2002 World Cup, despite being holders from 1998. I remember kind of having a chuckle to myself thinking, well, 
They've been knocked out of the World Cup, but they're getting to play golf court, golf at this place, which was absolutely stunning. It was everything that Frank had promised that it would be. Um, I just remember the cost of the drinks in the bar, but I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Stuart, you've played the game. You, you know, over 500 senior appearances, you've played at international level. I want to ask you a question about Belgium, because I think James raised a good point. This could be the, the last chance saloon for them as, as a squad as this generation. You go from coming together as a team and starting to make your mark, you then, the world takes notice of you and you you know, you know start to show what you can do. But at the end of the day, when you've not delivered that, that victory, you know, be it the European Championships, be it the World Cup, how much pressure will these players be feeling as a squad to think this could be the last hurrah? Well, I think it's a absolutely pertinent point that you raise maybe the counter argument to that is it's Belgium and I wonder do Belgium do they view themselves as as one of uh you know world football's leaders um because because they've I think they've been to finals of the Euros way back when in the 80s when Jan Kulemans was in there and Enzo Schieffer and guys like this but this is I would say the best Belgian team of all time arguably um and it just feels like, even though I think De Bruyne is absolutely at his peak still, I don't think the others are. I mean, there was was there a better player in the Premier League in England than Eden Hazard at his peak with Chelsea? I thought he was phenomenal, but he's not that guy now. Um, Tottenham had two fantastic centre halves in Vertonghen and Alderweireld, and and their legs have gone. Um, and I'm not sure that there's a good enough supporting cast. I know that uh, Lukaku's um, gone back to play in Italy and that's probably a good move for him. But I just feel like um, their best days are behind them. And I just I think that um, improving nations, improving teams, I should say, um, win the World Cup. Uh, you don't get teams where, you know, where, where their best days are behind them. So. Um, I'm happy to be proved wrong, but I, I think it's highly likely that uh, Belgium have missed the boat, um, sad as it is to say that. It's going to be a very interesting group. They're in with Croatia, whom we've mentioned already, also in with Morocco and Canada. It doesn't look the hardest of group, but it's one of the games that I've got marked down as Belgium. Morocco, because I think that'll tell us that'll tell us an awful lot about where we're going. It, it's interesting that one of the criticisms. James, is that Roberto Martinez is probably holding on to the squad for too long. It's one of these tricks, and you'll have seen this, where managers are trying to blood the right young players at the right time. It's often the the manager that can get the harmony and the blend right at the right time, but the winning formula is hard to find. Exactly, and do you know this? You make me think of... Germany. I know you're asking me about Belgium, but the, what I remember, I, I remember listening to a, an interview of Bertie Vogts years ago, and he said that the German team, the way they look at themselves is always as a team. Uh, and he used the 1974 World Cup final as a, an example. He felt that the Dutch team of that time, and you could argue that the Belgians are a bit like the Dutch, although the Dutch have got to three finals and lost. The Belgians haven't even gotten to a final yet. Um, they, when they looked at that Dutch team, they said, man for man, the Dutch had better players, um, better individuals, better players. But the Germans knew that they had to play as a team. 
and, and get the result. And as we know about Germany and, and all these tournaments, they become a machine that qualifies for these tournaments. They become a machine that gets to the semi-finals and finals, and they, they're a machine that often wins it as well. Belgium, like you say, perhaps they've got the, the great individual players. Perhaps Martinez has just not got them playing as that team that they need to be in order to take it to the next level. I'm always fascinated in the World Cups. And I guess, Grant, we, we've talked about the World Cups in the last episode. You know, we talked about Italia 90, Mexico 86. It's almost that European, South American thing. Now, that's traditionally, you know, Europe does well in Europe. South America does well in South America. I think that's what history will tell us. It's going to be interesting to see them on different soil. And Stuart, where does the balance of power lie at the moment? Well, it's interesting. I was looking through the the finals, um, you know, dating back to to the fifties when um, Brazil was so dominant, of course. And if you take in the finals through the fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties, South America led Europe six four in terms of winning the World Cup. But there was a sea change from the nineties onwards up until the last World Cup in two thousand eighteen. Europe uh, led South America six two in the last eight finals and. European nations have won the last four World Cups. So um, I'm strongly leaning towards European nations in my selections. Um, I'm happy to be proved wrong. I I think that both of you have touched on the fact that you have a suspicion that uh, Brazil are maybe shorter in the betting than they should be. I think you mentioned that, Paul. uh, Sorry, you mentioned that about Argentina and James, you said that about Brazil and I couldn't agree more. I think both of them are are in forced positions in the market, um, and I'd probably I'd probably still have France a tad shorter than than they should be. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think European nations used to struggle to win outside of Europe, but of course, um, Spain won in South Africa, um, and Germany won when the World Cup was in Brazil. So I would tend to kind of say that I'm not concerned about European nations being able to adapt to the conditions. Um, all I'm looking at now is uh, the, the head coach and the squad of players and who convinces me that they're on an upward curve to be able to win this tournament playing lots of matches in a relatively short period of time. Yeah, we're going to be getting an awful lot of matches on television very soon. The World Cup kicks off on Sunday the 20th of November. Qatar, as the host nation, will kick off against Ecuador. That's live on the BBC. Then the following day, it'll be England against Iran, Senegal against the Netherlands and the USA against Wales. Let's have a look just at what we would class as the middles of the tournament. And... uh, I'm, I'm glad you're not in the same room because I've got to mention Australia as, as the minnows here because, <laughs> because the, the, you know, that's where the place. So we're looking at Qatar, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Australia, Costa Rica, Morocco, bizarrely Cameroon and South Korea who've, who, who did well in their own tournament. I'll come to you in a second, Stuart, to see, to get the take on the Australian squad. But James, which of those nations might have the best chance of, of becoming one of these stories of the World Cup? I mean, Personally, I mean, I've written off Qatar already. They might have home advantage, but I don't think there's anything particularly great about them. And I think it's going to be, you know, Ecuador, I think, could take three or four off them in the opening game. But where do you see, you know, teams coming through and doing well out of the the, the sort of bottom tier? Honestly, I don't see them doing anything, any of those teams that you just mentioned. I mean, I was surprised to hear that the Qatari team 
We're only one win away from qualifying in 1990 and 1998 World Cups. Uh, I think they, they only had to beat Saudi Arabia, but that was a tough ask in 1997 to qualify. Qatar are the host nation. Host nations do do well. You remember that with South Korea. You remember that with another small team called England who did well on their, on their home soil as well. But this team, I don't think are going to do much at all. In fact, I expect them to probably finish bottom of that group. You will find, and this is maybe just my opinion, that the host nation tends to get an easy group. That happened in Korea and Japan, like I said, and it's happened in other other countries. But this Qatar team with Ecuador, Senegal and Netherlands, have got no chance. And the, the others that you mentioned, Costa Rica, I think, uh, South Korea, I, I really do not see them having much of a chance at all. For me, Minnows, and I know you you had your tongue in your cheek there when you mentioned Australia. Australia will also do well to get a point in their group. Um, and that's despite the fact that I thought they put up a heroic performance against France in the last World Cup, I think, in Russia in 2018. They were paired with France in that group as well. They, I think they only lost 2-1 and it was a great performance. I think they'll do well to get a, a point in, in that group. Interesting to see, obviously, Qatar, all of their players will come. They are Qatari-based. Saudi Arabia will be the same based on the preliminary squads. That's going to be very much the unusual. It's almost become vogue, Stuart, and you blazed a trail a while ago for this, for Scottish Premiership sides to have a couple of hardy Australians in their team. How is the Australian squad shaping up from your perspective? I'm worried, Paul. Uh, I'm really worried because I think that, that I would say that Group D has more depth to it than than any other group. Um, and I say that because France, in my eyes, are borderline favourites. Denmark, as we saw in the Euros, are, are, are an emerging nation and, and they are, they are going to be strong. And Tunisia, I suspect that if they had a little bit more luck in the draw, they, they could well have, have, have been one of the... Um, you know, lesser lights that could have had a, a big impact in this tournament. I think it's going to be really tough for them to progress because you would you would strongly favour France and Denmark. And I'm afraid to say that James is absolutely spot on. I I would be surprised if Australia managed to get a point. And um, if I'm honest, I think this is maybe the weakest Socceroos squad in my lifetime. Um, I, I just I don't I don't think there's anywhere near enough quality. I'm I'm actually to be honest, it's it's a, a a real achievement for for this squad to qualify for the World Cup because I don't see there's an awful lot of depth there. Um, James spoke about um, the squad from four years ago where they did give France a run for their money. I, I don't think they'll lay a glove on France this time or Denmark, and I think they'll fight it incredibly tough against Tunisia. Um, I look at the other groups and and. It, it, you know, it would be a really interesting uh, story if you could get uh, a lesser light to be competitive. Um, there's some really good games between some of the big guns, if you look at it. I mean, um, you know, Spain and Germany, you know, are in the same group. I mean, that's that's a wow fixture. Um, you know, you're talking about Belgium and Croatia, I think, will, will be a, an excellent game. Um, and I don't think Portugal are as strong as, as they have been. So them playing against the likes of Ghana and Uruguay and South Korea could be could be quite tough for them. But I think certain um, certain countries, some of the bigger guns, England, for example, I think have fared incredibly well with the draw. Again, 
Iran, mm -hmm. USA and Wales, that looks pretty timid to me, um, even if England are not playing very well at all. But you'd be staggered if they didn't top that group. Um, and uh, and I think that Argentina have drawn pretty pretty well with Saudi Arabia, Mexico and Poland. But some of the bigger guns have got a little bit more of a test. Group A is interesting, as you say. I agree with you, Paul, that um, Ecuador will probably um, give Qatar the runaround. I think Senegal could be really competitive. They 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 may well be the strongest African nation. And the Netherlands, um, you know, are as good as being seeded in that group. They'll, they'll be the strongest team. But there's always surprises. We know that. There are surprises in every World Cup. Trying to find them is quite tricky at the moment. I think by the time the squads come out um, and we'll see who's in and who's out, that might give us a better idea of who's in a good place because, of course, players could even still get injured you know, in the next few weeks before the tournament starts, which is which is a scary thought. We are, when we close this episode, going to take a very wild swing at who we think is going to be in the final, but it will come with a little asterisk alongside it and that once we see the squad, you will reserve the right to change your mind. But, you know, we will go early on that. What I think is interesting when you talk about the big games, it always worries me if it, the two top teams are playing third. You know, it's almost like that. Germany-Austria game we mentioned in our last one. But interestingly, Spain-Germany, you know, that's the second game in that group. That should open up something that, that's, a, that's a little bit special. That's the 7 o'clock game on Sunday, November the 27th, which my only complaint will clash with the NFL, but I'll, I'll be watching Spain against Germany. That's for sure. James, you mentioned in the last episode you've been to Qatar and it was a local game that you did, local rivalries. Local rivalries, you've done loads of these things. When you transplant a rivalry like England against Wales to a World Cup, I mean, you could argue that England should beat Iran, England should beat the USA. Therefore, Wales against England you know, might not mean so much. But if England have to go into that one wanting something the Welsh will have a very strong mindset. Wales strike me as the kind of, they've got a club mentality almost about mm. them. And I think that that can make a difference as well. And they're, they're a team that have been, uh, you're absolutely right, and they're a team that have been um, consistent and have been held together for a number of years. They know each other so well. Uh, it will be a very so, almost British cup tie match, but in a very, very different environment. And I suppose that's the big thing for me. It will be how will these countries from Europe, especially the, 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 the two representatives of the British Isles, England and Wales, how will they adapt to these conditions in, in Qatar? Because as, as I mentioned, I was there in, in March and it was 40-42. When, when they play in November, I believe it's still going to be, the temperatures are going to plummet to, well, in fact, right now, because I looked at the, the weather in Doha today, it's something like 33, 34, tomorrow 35 the next day. These temperatures are set to plummet, apparently, to 29, 30 in two or three weeks' time. So it's still going to be quite tough. And, it, and for me, it'll be about how these teams uh, adapt these conditions and who's the fitter uh, but you're right that will be a almost like a British cup tie match but in a very uh, non-British like setting what will be interesting for that is if it does mean something Stuart is I'm just I'm always fascinated by referee appointments and we'll, we'll talk about this in a, in a future episode but if you get a referee who's not into that style of football how much can that affect it well I think one of the things that uh, we'll talk about as the tournament progresses is that 
I really like what UEFA have done with with the European Championships in that they've had strong edicts to the officials to say keep the ball in play. It you know it, it's it's proven through data and stats and whatnot that the viewing figures remain higher when uh, the match officials allow the games to flow. It seems incredibly obvious to those of us that are interested in watching live football that you want to see the ball in play, but. I think that there was a conscious effort, um, you know, in, in the officials in the Euros to make sure that they played advantage as much as possible. And um, I think that um, even this season, I think the most enjoyable game I've seen was Liverpool against Man City uh, recently, where the referee was incredibly lenient to both teams and he let almost everything go, almost. <laughs> but it was it was the best game I've seen this season because of it. And James will be able to talk more about the instructions and how they're guided and and this type of thing. But um, I do feel that um, FIFA and UEFA have a real understanding about what is important. And when you're when the eyes of the world are upon you and you've got massive viewing figures, you've got to make sure that it's the entertainment is is at the top of the list of priorities. And so I'm I'm. You know, listen, there are going to be controversies in refereeing decisions. We know that. But I think the most important thing is keep the ball in play. Well, I was just going to say on that point that, uh, no, again, Stuart's absolutely right uh, about UEFA's edict, about keeping the ball in play, etc. What you'll find um, with World Cup finals, FIFA World Cup finals, is it tends to be the opening match that sets the scene. That they they pick a referee who's usually got a, a strong style, or the style that FIFA want to uh, have used throughout the tournament. So that referee in that match, Qatar Ecuador, although it might not seem the biggest game in the world, it will be on that on that day for Qatar and, and all viewers of the World Cup, and that will be the the the, the match that they, they will choose carefully the referee because as I said he will sort of set the standard for the rest of the tournament. The other interesting thing about referees in this tournament you may or may not be aware of is that there are for the first time three female referees. Um we've got Stephanie Frappat from France, uh Salima Mukasanga from Rwanda and Yoshima Yamashita from Japan. And we've also got three uh, assistant uh, female referees from Brazil, Mexico and USA, I think. So that's apparently going to be the norm uh, going forward. This isn't just something they've thrown in for, for the Qatar World Cup. In fact, you might even see the numbers of female referees grow as, as tournaments uh, go on in future years. You know, James, I mean, hopefully this isn't controversial, but I, I, I couldn't care less that there's female referees. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the world, I couldn't. If you tell me that FIFA have picked one hundred percent of the best match officials, that's all I want. I mean, they could put in thirty females. I'm not interested in the breakdown of sex. I just want the best match officials. And I think what is going to be interesting, and that might sound a touch controversial, what might be interesting is if, I mean, the, the French referee you mentioned, she referees at the highest level in France, etc. Terrific referee. It's going to be interesting if she has a bad game, how that is handled, because I would, I would like to think we're at a stage in life, uh, and where we are that we can criticise somebody for their performance. It's got nothing to do with their gender, but it's going to be a very interesting angle, and I'm sure that we, we're going to get a chance to talk about that 
going forward as well. Gents, we're almost at the end of episode number two. So what I'm looking for is basically a couple of things. I want your final prediction and I want two other things from you. I want the best performing fourth seed and I want the biggest nation to go out in the in the group stage. That's what I'm looking for. You can we'll go wild. I won't cast it up to you, especially if you get it right. Um, but that that's what I'm looking for. So basically the best of the best of the bottom seeds, I'm looking for which of the seeds is most likely to crash out. And I want your finalists as well. So I'll I'll give you a second to think. I'm going to start with my finalists. I'm going to be unbelievably boring and call for basically an all-European affair. I think it's France-Germany. I think there's a path for France and Germany to avoid each other and get to the final. Uh, the best of the rest, uh, in terms of all those <laughs> teams that I've mentioned, they're at the bottom of the group. Uh, I'm going for Costa Rica. I think they've got a sneaky wee chance uh, if they can get the win against Japan. It's going to be tough against Spain and Germany. Um, I was tempted for Morocco as well, but I'm going, to, I'm going to stick with Costa Rica. And in terms of teams that might overperform or we think they might overperform and go out, and I think they're probably at the biggest risk, I think Poland are a little bit overhyped. They got to the World Cup by beating bad teams and didn't really perform against good teams to the final. So as much as I like Poland, uh, I, I'm going to suggest that they are not going to make it through to the round of 16. Stuart. Okay, I'll start off with the easy question, which is um, who's going to be in the final? Um, I'm with you on France. Um, they were the first team that I backed for this World Cup. Uh, I backed both my two teams for the World Cup outright market at the same time. And the other ones were Spain, who I believe my eyes told me that they showed the most promise and the most potential in the European Championships. Um, they gave um, Italy an absolute lesson in the semi-finals, and then contrived to lose the game. Um, and I think that Italy. Listen, I, I loved Italy, but I thought they carried a fair bit of luck in the in the Euros, and I thought Spain were were the best team in the tournament. That's what my eyes told me. So I will be happy for either of those two nations, France or Spain, to win. But I'll take those two. I've no idea what their path is to the final, but hopefully they can figure it out and and get you know, meet, meet in the final. I'd be very happy with that. Um, in terms of you're looking for a big gun to not make it out of the group stages? Yep. Oh, that is tough because some of them, I think, have got an easier, easier path than others. I'm going to go with Portugal. Um, I don't think you can ever underestimate um, the Asian nations such as South Korea. Um, Uruguay, I think, uh, are underrated. And I think Ghana could be really strong. So I think Portugal, if there's going to be a surprise, a big gun to not make it through to the knockout stages, I think it might be them. And funnily enough, I'm glad that you didn't go for Morocco because I think that they could be an interesting long shot. Um, and I would go so far as to say that I think there's a really strong chance they'll make the last 16 and maybe even the quarterfinals. That's pretty good. James, your thoughts? So I think there's a, there's a clear top and bottom half to this draw and I think the likes of France and even Denmark who are my big outsiders they're going to emerge triumphant from this top half of the draw 
And from the, the bottom half of the draw, I think I can see Spain coming through. So I'm actually going to go for a Spain Denmark, we're back with that European thing again. And what's interesting about that for me is that in some ways could have and should have been the, the Euro 2020 or Euro 2021, as it turned out, final. Had Denmark not had a long trip back from Azerbaijan to play England in the semi-finals where they looked tired, I think they would have got into the final. And I think Spain should have actually picked Italy in the other semi-final. So that should have been the Euro draw, uh, Euro final for me in 2021. I think it will be the, the World Cup final this year. Although, as you said, I've got the uh, reserve the right to change my mind many times before the end of the tournament. Um, best of the rest, um, it's a bit like what Stuart said as well. I've focused on Group H. I see South Korea doing, or is it the Korean Republic these days, doing really well in this tournament for the best of the fourth seeds anyway and similarly it was Portugal's name that I was uh, my was drawn to when I looked at one of the big guns to go out so that's who I'll not forgetting though I think France could be one of the victims of that World Cup holders jinx remember (laughs) well we shall see thank you for listening to all three points a football podcast looking at football from all three points, those of the player, the match official and the commentator. My thanks to James B, to Stuart Lovell. I'm Paul Mitchell. Please do follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at all three points. And please share the podcast and tell people about the podcast with your friends. But for now, we shall be back again next week. But for Stuart, for James and myself, thanks for listening. Bye for now.